Welcome to the Do Good Better podcast with Trina Isaacson. This week, we're going to move straight through to the conversation in today's episode. I had a lovely chat with Allison Jones of Idealist Careers. She actually, since this conversation, has left that position and is now the director of marketing and publications for the Nonprofit Technology Network, N10, in the States. But really wanted to share this conversation with you. We start off talking about careers and trends in the labor market um, because of her knowledge being editor at Idealist Careers. But we then moved on to more deep topics of leadership and management and vulnerability and learning. And I hope that you enjoy it. Here we go. To begin, if you could just share your name and who you are, what you do. I'm Allison Jones. I'm an editor at Idealist, where I manage Idealist Careers, our uh, sister site full of uh, career content opportunities to help folks find jobs in the nonprofit sector. So who is your main audience? Who are the, the readers of Idealist Careers? Like Idealist, we do have a pretty broad mix of folks who, you, who come, to the, come to the blog. Um, that being said, I think our primary audience uh, is women, you know, college educated who've been in the sector for a while and are likely just looking for that next step in their, in their career. So um, maybe a leadership opportunities, maybe have been in the same job for a bit and are looking for a change. Um, so really just folks who have been in the sector for a while. And increasingly, we're getting lots of folks who... Um, we're getting folks who are older, so people over the age of 45, 50, um, and folks who are either sector switching, so new to the sector, um, or folks who've just been unemployed for, for a little bit and who are, who are eager to just get any kind of support to get back into the workforce. That's super fascinating. I, I was not expecting that response. I mean, up in mm-hmm. Canada, our, one of our main sites for uh, career-related stuff in the nonprofit sector. It's, it's called Charity Village, and I would I would say that you know it's maybe a similar demographic to what you shared. But for some reason, I I uh, envisioned a lot more of a focus on young people coming to the site mm. because that's who I end up speaking to, um, you know, on panels and and doing informational interviews with a lot of young people. So that's mm. yeah, I'm I, I was not expecting that. When we do get young people, um, most of the time, when we, I mean, we do get quite a few young folks and, and they usually come to us through service programs. So folks who are looking at AmeriCorps or Peace Corps or City Year or something like that, where um, their entry into the sector is usually in some sort of formal um, program. Um, and we do get quite a few recent grads as well, but we've definitely seen a trend towards older. Oh, okay. And so among that, the, the older demographic, largely female what are some of the topics that you find are popular right now? Sure. So uh, lots of folks coming to our community looking for jobs. So anything related to finding a job. Um, so your sort of your standard, you know, resume, cover letter, interview, like really um, practical nitty gritty tips um, that are rooted, I think, not just just stuff that we not just stuff that we write, but really pull in expertise from hiring managers, HR folks, folks who've been in the sector for a while. So things that are actionable, but things that are highly credible um, and really, you know, are written with an eye towards the reader can put them into practice right now. 
but we've seen a couple of other sort of content trends. And, and one is folks wanting support and sort of figuring out what their career should look like. So, you know, um, yes, you know, while you're, I mean, we apply for jobs because we need to feed ourselves, right? But in the process, you know, you're also thinking about, well, what does a great job look like for me? What does it mean to have a career that makes a difference? Um, how do I sustain myself? Burnout is a really big topic as well, um, both in terms of the, the frustration that comes from applying for jobs, but also just working in the nonprofit sector or social impact sector in general. How do you sustain um, a commitment to doing good when, you know, um, change might take a while or, you know, even though you came into the sector because you want to make a difference, the nitty gritty of working, you know, you may not like your man, you may not like your manager. You thought you wanted to be a writer for a nonprofit and you hate it. And now you think you need to find something new. So all that stuff, the nitty gritty stuff that comes with working, um, you know, a lot of that stuff can contribute to burnout as well. So burnout um, is a really good thing. Figuring out your passion and purpose is another really big thing. Um, And we also saw folks interested in mindfulness and that's something we're going to, um, keep writing more about um, what does it mean to be mindful, have, you know, self-care and passion for oneself. So the the more, so we have the nitty gritty stuff, like the resume cover letter stuff, which we were excited about. Um, but then in the process, we notice a lot more folks asking, well, why, you know, why should I do this? And what should I do if I feel like I'm not making a difference? So more emotional um, aspects of working for social change. Is that, is that a trend that you've noticed or is that that kind of emotional side existed since you since you began with idealist careers or even beforehand? Or is that something that that's new? Mm, you know what? I think it's something that's always been there. I think that part of it is just idealist. So, you know, most people come to us looking for jobs. So they come to us when they're ready to take action. They come to us when they're ready to sort of hit that submit button. You know, now they're looking for the opportunity to, you know, find a job, volunteer, intern, whatever. So they're ready to, they're come to us when they're action oriented. And so that makes, so it makes sense to us that a lot of the content that resonates is stuff that helps them when they're in that moment. So again, the resumes, the cover letters and stuff like that. Um, but as you know, idealist careers is only two years old. So so I've been at Ideals for three years, and then within my first year, um, I helped launch Ideals Careers. And so over time, you know, asking folks, we have a lot of different touch points on Idealist Careers where we ask folks, you know, what do you think? What are you struggling with? And we notice, you know, people, you know, yeah, they, they want help finding a job, of course, but then just like, I don't know if this is a job for me. I don't, I don't know what makes sense. Or, you know, I've been working in this field for so long, I think I'm kind of tired of it. How do I know that this really matters? And so in asking people well, you know, what are your challenges in your career? We were getting all of these responses that were much deeper um, and indicated that we needed to go deeper in the kind of support that we were offering. So you mentioned you have a lot of touch points. Like what what kind of touch points do you have with your readers and in your community? Sure. So one um, is when people sign up for um, our email alerts. Um, Every day we send out an email with the latest post and it says, um, you know, thanks so much for subscribing. Feel free to respond to this email and tell us what's your biggest challenge in your job search. I think that's the question. I can't remember it exactly. Um, And then people will hit reply and it comes straight to our inbox. And it's, you know, and again, that's, you know, that's a really popular touch point where people are in the moment saying, here's, here's why I signed up. 
I signed up because of X, Y, Z reason. And most of the time it's, again, a really emotional reason. Um, we do surveys. So we just did a big survey actually a few weeks ago. One of the questions was what's your greatest fear when it comes to your career? Um, and again, you know, sometimes it is nitty gritty stuff that's totally, you know, important for us to address. You know, I want a job so I can take care of myself and take care of my family. And those fears are, are definitely there. But there's also fear of, you know, just working for the sake of working and not feeling like the work you're doing is making a difference or feeling like you're trapped in the wrong job or, you know, wondering if, if it's all worth it or if, or if it even matters. So that's another way where we, we try to get a sense of what people are thinking about when they come to ideals careers. And sometimes it's just, you know, comments people leave on the blog, emails that people send us, you know, um, just a lot of different ways that people tell us, you know, oh, this, this is what I'm struggling with. And then there's just data, you know, if we publish a piece on burnout, for example, and we see that this was the most popular piece we've run this week, or even the piece that you wrote for us, Trina, you know, quiet change makers, you know, not about job hunting, not about, mm-hmm. you know, resumes or cover letters, but more about folks who find themselves as introverts, particularly in a field where the assumption is you need to be an extrovert, be out there, you know, you know, giving your hand to the people, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and you writing a bit about, well, for those of us who are quieter, um, what does our leadership look like? You know, and so stuff like that, you know, again, not related to job nitty gritty stuff, but more about who you are, what's your place? Um, how do you figure out the best way for you to have an impact? I mean, definitely those things are coming up. I know, obviously, that uh, Canada and the U.S. have a lot of similarities. What's the job market like right now in the U.S.? Like, our, you mentioned people are looking for work. You, they need to feed their families and pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's the vibe in terms of the, the job market and people successfully being able to enter um, the social impact nonprofit career space or move into it or move up in it? What is it like? As far as the nonprofit sector, you know, I mean, for idealists, because of our role in the sector, we often look at um, how many jobs are being posted, which to us indicates that hiring is up, you know, to a certain extent compared to last year. Um, Obviously, we can't necessarily say that with certainty because people may be posting jobs because they just heard of idealists versus oh, the economy is up, people are hiring, that kind of thing. So, but we do look at, you know, um, you know, how are job postings doing um, and what are, what's the feedback that we're getting from folks? How do they feel about the jobs that they're seeing? Um, how are organizations feeling about the, the candidates that they're getting? Um, so we do have those kinds of conversations with folks. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not so much a, here's a statistical stamp in terms of how hiring is, but we, like I said, we just look for broad strokes in terms of what's happening on our site and what people are telling us. So another thing that is talked about in the within the labor market in the nonprofit sector in Canada is this idea of a leadership gap, and I totally I question the premise of it. Uh, a lot of nonprofit leaders are like, "Oh, we're retiring. We're you know, it's unclear where the next cohort of leaders is going to come from." And I'm thinking, "Oh, we're right here. Mm-hmm, like, who, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. who are you? Who? Where are you looking that you can't see us? There's a huge generation of like Gen." Uh, Gen X and Gen Y that are interested in leadership, maybe not in the ways that we see leadership existing within the sector, people who are, um, I would say, who overwork and whose whose identities are maybe too closely tied to their jobs. But um, so this leadership gap thing that's talked about here um, that I don't necessarily agree with, is that something that's talked about in the nonprofit sector in terms of 
career and succession planning in the U.S.? Oh, sure. I mean, I think there were a couple of studies that were done um, in like the mid 2000s, I think, like maybe 2006, seven, and stuff like that. So I know Building Movement Project, for example, did a whole thing um, about you know, uh, you know, boomer leader is about to retire and what does that mean? And then YMPN did a similar study, you know, do young people want to be executive directors and, and what does that look like? Um, you know, I think, first of all, I would make the argument that people are not retiring at the rate that we anticipated them to because of yeah, the economy. economy. Yeah. So I would, I would say that first. And then I would also say, you know, the, what these studies did. And I think just what, what you brought up now is it's also just forcing us to we think what we mean when we say leadership. Um, for example, I know the YMPN study. I remember, you know, they were talking to folks, you know, is this, do you want to be an executive director? Is this something that you aspire to? And quite a few folks were like, no, um, you know, because of salary, because of burnout rate, because, you know, it doesn't really get the respect that it deserves. Like there were all these things that people were like, uh, you know, like we understand that as the ED, you're sort of head honcho, but that doesn't necessarily come with, you know, the, the way the, the position is presented, it, it, see, it doesn't seem as, um, it's not as appealing. Yeah. And just for, for listeners in Canada, YNPN stands for Young Nonprofit Professionals Network, correct? Yes. Yep. And um, yeah, so they did, yeah, they did a study um, and, as well as building movement project. I think they might have done a study get together on this very topic. And so I, you know, I think, I think it's more about, you know, to your point of people are ready to lead now. Um, I think it's about, you know, people are not retiring at the rate that we thought that they were. We have many generations working in one workplace. And I think there's a book that actually Building Movement Project published working across generations because it's, it's much more likely for you to have three generations in one workplace today. Um, so it's less about replacement and more about cooperation and more about, um, how are we defining leadership so that it's inclusive and so that people can see themselves in it? You know, when people are looking at the ED position and they're just like, God, that looks like a terrible job. <laughs> I mean, of course they're not, of course they don't want that job, <laughs> you know? So, so how do we, how do we, again, how do we change that role? Um, you know, is it, you know, some organizations have, um, and I can't remember the name of the organizations off the top of my head, but shared leadership models, you know, co-executive directors, that's becoming a really, I've seen quite a few organizations that have that structure so that they can share responsibility so that it doesn't seem like, oh, this one person has to carry the weight of, you know, ending poverty on their shoulders <laughs> that it's, you know, like it's not just about- I did that on Sunday. What's the big deal? <laughs> like you're not going to end, you know, hunger and poverty on your own now. But, you know, again, rethinking, reimagining what leadership can look like. What are some interesting articles um, about leadership that have been up on idealist careers that maybe have provoked interesting comments or have even maybe allowed you to question your own perspectives on what leadership looks like? Oh, sure. Um, uh, Robert Egger, we interviewed him, I think, last summer um, about the, I think this very question of the leadership gap. And he was just like, this is bullshit. Um, you know, like it's, you know, we have people who are ready to lead. And he said, the problem is that too many um, older leaders want to replicate a broken model of leadership. Um, and that's so we're, we're demanding that young people step into a model of leadership that's not even really serving us as older leaders, as older organizations. Um, and that's problematic. And so he really brought up a lot of things. Again, this question of not just do we want people to step up, but what are we asking them to step up into? And is this the right approach for folks? So he definitely, provo I mean, and Robert Egger, you know, um, he's very outspoken, very thoughtful. And, I, you know, he's a leader that I've admired for quite some time. 
um, who, you know, in that article really got us thinking, or at least me personally, really got me thinking about, you know, what, what do I mean when I say leadership? Um, your article on quiet leadership, I think, was also really, really great in terms of what do we mean? Again, expanding the definition of leadership, you know, and, and being mindful that not everyone embodies this particular action or this attitude that doesn't make them any less of a leader. You know, so how, how are we being inclusive in leadership, given the needs that our organizations are addressing? We need to have as many people on board as possible. And we can't do that if our definition of leader looks only one way. I'm curious, do you read a lot of books? Like what's on what's on your bookshelf? I'm always curious what other people are reading. Oh, God, I read a ton. Um, so in my own growth as a as a leader, I think something that I was struggling with at work was, um, you know, I don't know the best way to describe this, but um, wanting to needing to do more, but not, I guess the best way to phrase it is going from maker to manager, which is a phrase I got mm. from 99U. Um, and in that understanding what my, what my own leadership style looks like. Um, and we can, I mean, in a separate conversation, what's the difference between a leader and a manager? Like that in and of itself is a big conversation, but right now I'm just talking about my personal experience. Um, and I was having a really hard time with that transition um, because so much, you know, people say, oh, Allison, you know, what can I do this? And you read all those articles, like so much is attached to my name because of what I make, you know? So the articles that I write and, and that I publish, you know, and, and I got really attached to that as part of my work identity, you know, I'm the, I'm the person who produces stuff. And now having to expand it to not only manage other people who produce stuff, but to take a step back from producing stuff so I can have the bigger picture and that I'm able to pull people in and support them as they produce stuff. Um, And I was struggling with that. And one book that I love, so it was an article in Harvard Business Review, which is, I have a subscription to and I've had a subscription to for years. Great magazine. Um, I can't pronounce her name. Um, her name is Hermania Barra, I think. Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry for butchering her name. But she wrote The Authenticity Paradox. She wrote about the limitations of authenticity and how oftentimes when it's time for us to step into leadership roles or new roles in general, our attitude is, well, I just don't do that. Or that's not my personality or, you know, whatever. And, and we inadvertently hold ourselves back because we, how do you know what you're, what you can and can't do until you do it? You know what I mean? So she wrote in this article was an introduction really to her book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader, which, um, which I read and I loved and it really helped me. I mean, it, it was just, you know, to, again, you know, what are the, the things you're telling yourself about leadership that make you think that you can't do it? You know, so so are you telling yourself that a leader has to be, you know, assertive and telling people what to do? Because that may be some people's approach to leadership, but that doesn't have to be yours. And she really emphasized the playfulness when it comes to discovering your leadership and to also understand that leadership and management are, are important things. And for those of us who are coming from a place where we're used to, again, producing things, to not say, well, oh, because I'm no longer the one hitting publish on the articles, my work is no longer important. So it was more about that book really helped me shift my framework on leadership and particularly my own leadership. Because again, I started reading the books because I was like, I feel like I'm hitting a wall in my growth. And I, you know, I, part of it is because I have all these thoughts about what leadership and management are and I need something to help me get through it. So her book was really, really helpful in that. When it comes to that, the distinction between leadership and management is something that really interests me. I often talk about, um, like volunteer management mm-hmm. is a field that there's a name and people, there's job titles, volunteer managers. And and so I give talks and I've done some work around what does leadership look like when you're engaging volunteers? And it, the distinction mm-hmm. is pretty, pretty big. Um, 
But when people mistake leadership and management, I think the a word that I or a phrase that I picked up today listening to a podcast actually uh, is called role power. Mm. So people who are in a position of authority mistake role power for leadership, and role power is just you know mm-hmm. I have a I'm senior to you. I I can impact your ability to continue in this job, and therefore um, you know I have uh, authority and power. Um, and that's not leadership. That's mm. just a, a a thing. And and being people might mistake um, adherence for respect when really you're just you know asserting your role power. Um, the the podcast that I've been listening to here and there it's called Manager Tools, I believe. But it's really interesting because it's not about leadership. It's all about management and like really nitty gritty things like. How, what does a, a good one-on-one meeting actually look like? Or how do you mm. respond to a request for a raise? Mm. Or how do you go on vacation well? Like really, really tangible manager things. So um, it's it's just a lot of talking mm-hmm. like we're doing right now. But it's, I don't know, it's, it's super interesting because right. I think leadership has so much buzz around it right. for good reasons because I don't think people understand it really well. But um, I often... As I've been listening to this podcast, I'm realizing actually, even though there are a lot of, you know, non-leaders in high positions, there are also a lot of really poor managers. And so what can I take from this so that when I'm in those situations, I don't, um, I don't fall on my face. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny you bring this up about the, you know, response, like the, the tactical aspects of management. Um, I would say that uh, a good book that complemented Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader was Managing to Change the World by Alison Green and um, a colleague of hers at the Management Center in DC, where that book was really about day-to-day management. So how to have those difficult conversations, how to assign Mm -hmm. projects and set deadlines, how to manage yourself every day when you're managing other people. I mean, that book was so good in terms of, you know, because again, we can go about the the distinction between leadership and management. Um, but with, um, but with in any situation, you still have work to do as you try to figure that out for yourself. <laughs> yeah, still got to yeah. show up every day. So having, again, that toolkit, um, you know, to, to help you navigate, you know, what it means to be a manager um, and also a toolkit to help you figure out what it means to be a leader. And again, there is a distinction between the two. That being yeah. said, um, as you're working day to day, so one thing that's been helping me is also just to reflect on the things that I'm feeling when it comes to leadership and management and being very deliberate about navigating those feelings because it is so new to me. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so funny that whenever I tell someone, you know, oh, I'm managing someone or I'm thinking about leadership, the first thing they're asking is, do you want to be a manager? And it wasn't until I actually started being a manager that I realized that that was an option. Like it always, it mm. always just seemed to me that of course you're going to be a manager. Isn't that the way you're supposed to move up? But when you talk to people, they're just like management is not for everyone. Um, And while everyone can be a leader to a certain extent in their own roles in terms of, you know, um, what leadership will look like, um, not just in terms of personality and style, but also in terms of how the work gets done, management is is its own skill and its own animal. Um, And not everyone wants to be a manager. And a lot of people get promoted into those roles who really should have stayed in a maker type role and yep. you don't carry those skills yep. that are so crucial. Yep. Exactly. It's it's strange because you get promoted to be a manager, like you just said, when you've done your job really well. But management mm. is not me being a writer does not mean that I'll be a good manager. Um yeah. and it's taken me a while to really figure that out and to 
sorry not to repeat myself, but act like a leader, think like a leader. One of the things that she encourages is to not back out the moment it feels uncomfortable. So, Mm. you know, it's very easy to say, you know what? Management is not for me. This is not for me. It's too hard. But if you've only done it for like a month, (laughs) do you really know? (laughs) But you know, it's funny. We laugh at it. But like, I mean, personally, I was just like, you know what? I've been at this for a month, month and a half. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think I may have pushed myself a little too much. But now I'm like, oh, man, I'm in a rhythm. And, you know, I'm learning things about myself and about others that I really, really love. Um, And I think the other thing I would add is that it's also great to have people around you that you can talk to about leadership Mm. management to say this conversation I'm having with you, you know, is wonderful. And to be able to just say to folks, gosh, you know, this is all new to me. I don't, I don't know what it means to be a manager. I don't know what it means to be a leader. I don't know what the difference is between the two. I don't know, you know, and to have folks say, oh yeah, I went through that too. You should read this book or you should talk to so-and-so or think about people in your life that you really admire. And like, that's been really helpful as well. How do you, how did you build that network or how do you, how do you decide who to reach out to, to have these conversations? Oh, sure. So first is I thought of, um, my, at my last job, um, my manager, she was just, she was tops. I mean, she was just the best manager I've ever had in terms of, I felt really supported. I felt like I had what's important to me, you know, clear expectations and support and reaching them, um, in an organization where, you know, there's a culture where, um, you know, we, we were all trying, we all had a clear goal and we were all trying to reach it as a team. Um, and she was just really good at helping me see my role in the team and helping me reach it while also being, while also allowing me to be me. I never felt Mm -hmm. like I had to, um, you know, I never felt like I had to, uh, put on a, put on a show for her. It was, Mm -hmm. she was, she was really, really good at saying, Oh, here are Allison's strengths and weaknesses. Um, how do we focus on those strengths and help her grow? And I just, you know, I mean, she was just amazing. So when I, I still keep in touch with her. And when I talked to her about the fact that I was managing someone, I'm thinking about management leadership. She was the one who asked me, you know, how are you liking being a manager and asked me and made me say, I didn't like, being asked to think about being a manager when all this time I just assumed that this was just some stuff that people end up having to do. And she was just like, (laughs) no, Allison, no. Like, and, and she, you know, and she, you know, just, she herself was such a good manager and really encouraged me to, to think, um, think about myself, um, think about my skills and strengths, whatever differently. Um, but I worked with her and I kept in touch with her because she was so influential on me. Um, you know, so that's one thing. Um, and the other, I, you know, before I came to Idealist, you know, I've been writing on my own for a while and I met a lot of people through my own writing and I'm, I've always been very comfortable. Um, you know, after you get to know someone, I've, you know, these are the kinds of questions where I feel like people are eager to share their insights. Um, it's one of those things where people are like, yeah, leadership. Yeah. Management. What does it all mean? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just like people are like, Oh, I don't know. You know? Um, so I think building the network has been mainly about, um, you know, putting myself out there and being comfortable asking these kinds of questions when I feel like Mm -hmm. to ask them. When you get into management or leadership roles, it can often be really isolating because the conversations that you need to have, you can't necessarily have them with the people that you are with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, it's, it's nice to have those spaces. So yeah, it's, it's so true. I mean, just having, again, being comfortable and, and being around people who, who not only have your best interest at heart, but who are willing to be vulnerable themselves and just say, you know, here's what I'm going through too. That sense of you're not the only one is so empowering. 
You know, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm not the only one. And lots of people have gotten through this hump in their career. So I'm going to get through it, too. It's all going to be all right. <laughs> I don't need to sit here and panic <laughs> every time. <laughs> I've been here a month and a half. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That that vulnerable, her vulnerability you just mentioned, that's one of the things that I struggle with uh, in interacting with people, whether it's like on Twitter or Facebook or in person, I I find that I'm generally a good read of people. Like I can see through masks and I just see, I see a lot of them. It's really nice to have personal conversations where people can be really frank about some of the, you know, the questions that they're having, but I just find there are so many masks that people put up, like everything's fine. I'm making a living and I'm making an impact and yeah. it's all working out where like, I don't know. I, I I struggle with it. It doesn't appeal to me. Like the people who can't shed their masks are people that I generally will choose not to socialize with. But I, I don't know. Like where do you think that comes from? And and where like where do people get the space or the courage to be vulnerable? Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's it's so funny you mentioned that because it's something that I struggle with as well. I mean, it could be. I mean, it could be an introvert thing. You know, where I'm just like, I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I have to tell you everything? Um, but also, I think something actually my current manager helped me work through is that there's a range of ways to engage and be vulnerable and, you know, connect with people. It's not just, here's my life story. Let's go off for drinks and talk about it. You know, because <laughs> for a while, you know, I thought that one of the reasons why I was resisting having that kind of I guess intimacy with coworkers or what have you um, was because I thought that that was what intimacy looked like, that it looked like us crying over drinks together. <laughs> and sometimes it can, it can. Oh, it absolutely can. it can. And, and those kinds of conversations are great. Um, but what my current manager helped me realize, he was like, that, that, that's not, you know, if you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. But there's a range of behaviors and interactions between I'm going to go in this room and close the door and not talk to anyone all the way to we're going to go out for drinks and cry over everything. So again, that, that sense, again, getting out of that black and white thinking and, and really trying to figure out what works for me in a way where I can feel like I'm connecting with folks because a, I, I like it. It's not like it's all um, being vulnerable so that other people like me more. It's like, oh, I, you know, I like the kind of uh, energy and interaction we're having when we all feel like we can be ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, embracing that um, in a way that makes the most sense for me. In your experience, what sort of workplaces or what sort of situations help people be vulnerable and be more, uh, I don't know, authentic or honest about themselves in a workplace? Um, When it's modeled by leadership, um, Mm. you know, at leadership, we can't, I'm using words interchangeably, but when, you know, the heads of the organization are modeling what they expect from employees, it really makes a difference. Um, You know, we talk a lot about, um, I mean, particularly when it comes to organizational culture, I think it's really important that leadership, the folks who, you know, are the EDs, the executive level folks, I think people often take their cues from executive level leaders and their own managers. And so if you want folks to feel comfortable, it's not enough to just say, hey, we are a nice organization where everyone can say what they feel. You know, like that's not, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You have to embody it. You have to, you know, staff has to be able to say, oh, you know, when I spoke to my manager about X, Y, and Z, he was so supportive. 
you know, or, or, you know, uh, you know, I was having a really bad day and, you know, so-and-so came up to me and we just talked about it over lunch and it made me feel great. Like those little things that happen where folks feel comfortable having those interactions, um, that starts really with leadership modeling it and, and giving it the okay. Um, so that's, that's how I think it can, at least in my, my experience, that's how it usually starts. A final question for you, just related to the title of this podcast, Do Good Better. Uh, we kind of started off on talking about idealist and career stuff and moved into leadership and management. I don't know, when you think about, when you look out to the social impact space, where do you think are the biggest opportunities to be doing good better? Uh, actually, so there's an article that came up a while ago about, it's like 26 ways to be involved in social change um, mm. without being on the streets. And it, it was related to Black Lives Matter. There were lots of protests happening around, around the country. And there was a concern of, you know, if I can't go to a protest, whether it be because of physical ability or, or any yeah. other sort of issue, time, like, you know, um, can I not participate in this movement? And these group of people got together and they put together a list of 26 ways to be involved. And that, when I was looking at that list, even though they were focusing on particularly Black Lives Matters and, um, you know, related protests, it made me realize all the ways that all of us can be involved in social change in a, in just in any capacity, you know, so some of the more nitty gritty things are offering babysitting services to folks who are going to protest, you know, or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, helping people, you know, get to and from places who need help with transportation. Like, and, and for me, I think what I, what I loved about that list was, you know, you can still, if you identify a cause that you care about, I think some of us come into it thinking that there's only one way to be involved. And at least from where I sit, that's where, you know, we get quite a few folks who, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Someone who says, you know, oh, I'm really interested in education, but I don't want to be a teacher. Like, well, nobody said you had to be a teacher. Why do you think you have to be, why, you know what I mean? And understandably, you know, that's the first reaction because education teacher, and of course, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a teacher, but coming into this cause with a, with an, with an eye that, with a, with a thinking that the only way that I can make a difference is by either doing direct service or being out in the streets protesting or whatever have you. But mm-hmm. realizing that there are so many ways that we can all be involved, whether it be helping others, taking care of ourselves is a really big part. And I'm seeing a lot more folks who are involved in social change talk about the importance of taking care of yourself. Um, it's just, it's a big issue. Um, so mm-hmm. to answer your question, doing good better, I would say look Think in terms of social change as a spectrum. You know, you identify the cause or issue that you care about. Think about the range of ways that you can be involved in in a way that makes the most sense for you and you feel like will actually help you make a difference. Because if you go into it thinking that the only way that you can make a difference is if you, again, are doing direct service or on the streets. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things. Um, But they are not possible for everyone. So understand where you fit in and get in where you fit in. Yeah, that's a, that's a good message. Actually get in where you fit in and not just <laughs> look wistfully from the sidelines, <laughs> hoping that someone will ask you to come and play. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right. Uh, anything that was on your mind coming into the conversation today that you didn't have a chance to share? No, I mean, I think this is great. I, I had a really good time talking to you and helping me also, as I'm talking to you, figure out some ideas that have been, you know, muddling around in my mind a little bit. So this has been great. Good. Oh, I'm glad. Well, thank you so much again, Allison. I hope that you have a uh, lovely rest of your day. You too, hon. Talk soon. That's it for today's episode. 
The resources and links mentioned in today's episode are listed in the episode description and at trinaisaacson.com. If you'd like to submit a comment or question or want to share how you're doing good better, the instructions are at trinaisaacson.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week.